Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, inquirers, and welcome back to your favorite open-minded talk show, Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your host, Shane, as always, and today's guest was an absolute honor to have on. It's uh, somebody that I've been following his blog ever since I was a teenager. Uh, It's one of the main things that I feel that got me into the uh, cryptid and paranormal space, and I've been wanting to have him on the show since the very beginning of the show, and I finally shot him a message, finally got got it all set up and was able to have him on the show, and actually following this conversation, he actually invited me to join his Fortean research team, which is an absolute honor, because like I said, considering that I've been following this guy's work since I was a teenager, it's awesome to actually be part of all of this. So I guess that goes into the next announcement, of course, that I am now the uh, paranormal slash cryptid investigator for Phantoms and Monsters as far as the Michigan and Indiana area goes. So if anybody has any experiences they'd like to report, don't forget to go and report them to Phantoms and Monsters. Uh, And if you are in Michigan or Indiana, I might actually be the one that gets to uh, investigate it. So absolute honor. And that was a big announcement for me. I got that news over the weekend and it got approved by actually a few people that were a past guest on the show. So kind of a weird small world. Uh, We're all interconnected. But if anybody wants to report any of those encounters, go and check out Phantoms and Monsters if you haven't heard of it already. Uh, All of that, of course, is included down in the link tree, which is available down in the show description, of course. But uh, getting into that, we got to do the front of house stuff, of course. If you guys aren't already following on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, or Discord, I highly recommend that you go and check those out as far as social media goes. Uh, I did recently nuke the Telegram because I wanted to be able to have more time to be able to focus on the Discord. So that's starting to build up. I'm starting to interact more over there, drop some new stuff. Uh, There is some restructuring that will be coming if I haven't already done it by the time this episode drops. Uh, Expect a lot more coming on over there. And uh, we have some fun conversations over there. Uh, as far as making jokes, all that kind of stuff. We also get into different theories, sharing paranormal encounters, sharing cryptid encounters. Uh, It's a lot of fun, so go and check out the Discord if you're not already somebody that's part of that. And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're a ufologist, cryptozoologist, paranormal investigator, abductee, experiencer, author, folklorist, researcher, whistleblower, or any other open-minded individual, I'd love to set something up. I'd love to have you on the show. And uh, if you're a listener and you have some type of paranormal encounter, cryptid encounter, any of that kind of stuff, and you don't think it's going to take up a full hour, it might only be a few minutes or something, uh, I'd like to try to set up some episodes where maybe it's just a 
collaboration of a bunch of different uh, encounters from all of you guys, from all you listeners, call it like a listener encounter episode. But even if it's that, contact me. I'd love to set something up. And uh, if you guys have any products that are related to the show, then I would absolutely love to be able to work something out as far as that goes too. And speaking of that, also some news and updates. Uh, I now have an affiliate link set up now for Chattergeist, which is this awesome paranormal device that I've gotten the pleasure of getting. Uh, it's an all-in-one device, which is pretty sweet. Um, it's about the size of a smartwatch, which is super cool, too. Uh, so, don't, guys, don't forget to go and check that out if you guys are interested in stuff like that or if you're a paranormal investigator. I highly recommend it. I've had a lot of interesting encounters and a lot of fun stuff with this device. Uh, you guys can uh, go and check out the affiliate link, which is available down in the show description. And you guys could also go and check him out on Instagram. It's Dimension Devices. That is literally the guy who programs it. So not that I've had any issues with this device whatsoever, but if you do, you guys are able to talk to the programmer directly, fix any issues that you may have or any questions that you may have as far as how to use something on the device. So quick and easy, definitely worth going and checking out. But getting back into the uh, getting a hold of me part of all of this, you guys can get a hold of me through email, which is increaseourrealitypodcast.outlook.com, or you guys can always contact me on social media. Instagram is the one that I'm the most active on, of course, but I'm starting to bounce more onto Facebook, so that's also definitely a viable option. And uh, if you can't get enough of my work, don't forget to go and check out Bizarre Encounters. I have a lot of fun over there with my awesome co-host, Oren, where we deep dive into a lot of different 40-in slash Bizarre Encounter topics. And if you'd like to keep tabs on everything that I do, you guys can always go and follow Open Minds Media on all forms of social media, realistically. And that's a one-stop shop to get any updates going on with this show and with Bizarre Encounters. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys can go and pick up some merch from the Open Minds Media merch store. Over there, you'll get stuff for inquiries of our reality, for Bizarre Encounters, and for some new cryptid designs that I'm starting to include. Uh, there's a lot of new updates over there, such as uh, I started including hats, mugs, all that fun stuff. Uh, there is an inquiries of our reality hat that I think is pretty sweet. Uh, there should be a Bizarre Encounters hat that pops up over there pretty soon. I'm going to be working on that too, so definitely worth going and checking out. And if you guys want to, you guys can get your your own exclusive merch store discount by going and joining the Patreon first. Over there, you'll get early access to episodes. You'll get ad-free episodes. You'll get lives of episodes, live replays of episodes. And like I mentioned, you'll also get the exclusive merch store discounts depending on which tier that you pick. Uh, there should also be some restructuring going on over there. So... I'm trying to make it a little bit more interactive, make it so that there's more stuff that you guys can communicate back and forth and make it a little bit more, little bit better for you guys. But if you guys have any suggestions as far as the Patreon goes, I'm always open to suggestions because I want to make it so that it's more of what you guys want and less of what you guys maybe don't want. But that's always the number one best way to support the show as far as the Patreon and the merch store go. And then the third way you guys can support the show is through donating to the show through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate and it doesn't give you the option to leave some type of personalized message, just shoot me a message so that I can give you a big shout out because I'd love to give appreciation where appreciations do, as I always say. And uh, if you guys want to support some other creators, you guys can always go and check out Crypto Theology. Joe's always killing it over there with his awesome, awesome, awesome cryptid designs. Uh, I think I mentioned it on the previous couple episodes, but he recently dropped a Snarly Yao design, and he also just dropped a Jersey Devil design. Uh, he's got some new awesome ones in the works. I don't know if I'm allowed to give them out, but he's kind of uh, talked about a few of them with me, but there's some awesome stuff coming, so highly recommend keeping tabs on anything that he's doing over there. And uh, don't forget to go and check out Phantoms and Monsters, as I mentioned. And everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please. 
please welcome to the show Lon Strickler from Phantoms and Monsters. How's it going today, man? I'm doing well. Well, that's good to hear. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. After following your work for so long, it's uh, one of those things I'm glad I finally got around to because when I originally started my show, actually, weirdly enough, it was listening to you on another podcast that I was like, hmm, I need to get into some of these conversations. So kind of a weird thing that we finally came around after two years, but I'm glad I finally shot you a message and uh, got you to come on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. So uh, for anybody that may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, because assumably, you know, I have a pretty wide variety of listeners. They may not be completely into the cryptid space uh, as much as I do talk about cryptids on the show. Uh, why don't you kind of give them enough rough idea about uh, what Phantoms and Monsters is and exactly what you do over there? Well, Phantoms and Monsters is actually a blog I started back in 2005. Uh, I, I've actually been investigating since the, the late 1970s. Um, and I would write a few things here and there. And, of course, when the, when the Internet started, uh, I, I was writing for other websites. But eventually, uh, you know, I had so much I had so much information, so much research piled up that I, uh, I decided to go ahead and, and start doing a blog. And that's how it all started. So, you know, it's been, what, about 18 years now. And um, but I, I really got involved with. Um, with with uh, hauntings and and such early on i'm an intuitive so i was kind of thrust into this whole thing uh i had a, i had my first real encounter when i was uh about nine or ten years old i i lived very i grew up near the gettysburg battlefield and uh you know I, i'm in fact i'm living i came back and lived living here now again I lived down in Baltimore for about 40 years and I moved back. But, um, yeah, I really had my first experience on the battlefield. And after that, I was, um, I, I just started getting into, uh, investigating other locations and other people's, uh, residents, businesses and such. And back then, you know, that was kind of a new deal. It was, you know, people, you know, you said you were a paranormal investigator, you know, people kind of thought you were crazy, but, you know, it's kind of become mainstream as time has gone on. But, um, you know, I did that until I um, I had a Bigfoot encounter in 1981 outside of Sykesville, Maryland. Ooh, I'd love to and, hear that one. Uh, yeah, when I had that, that kind of got my interest into cryptids. And um, then I had a, another encounter in 1988 of a winged humanoid uh, up in this area up near, uh, well, here in Conewaga Township. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, so it's kind of built on itself. I've, I've had plenty of experiences over the years. And, um, you know, with all that accumulated, all the investigations I had done over the years, it was time for me to start writing. And uh, I've done the... You know, I started the blog in 2005, and then I started writing a couple books. I've, I've got nine books I've written now that have been published. And, uh, yeah, I just, and what I do now is I've got an investigative team that works with me, and we work together and try to get boots on the ground for cases that come in, and steadily things coming in. Uh, I've been involved with a few major investigations, in particular, more recently, the Chicago Mothman Investigations. And, um, 
and a few other things. We, we've done a lot of um, cryptic canine sightings here in Pennsylvania, Maryland over the years and been involved with that, but a lot of other stuff as well. So I'm kind of an eclectic uh, investigator. You know, people, I call myself a 14 researcher, uh, but it kind of covers everything. So, uh, yeah, it keeps me busy. Saying <laughs> the more you start researching into stuff, the more you realize that everything's weirdly kind of connected in a way, too. And especially going from like paranormal into cryptids in particular, you're talking about the dogs. Um, I don't know if you're particularly talking about dog man or like the ghostly dog figures, but the ghostly dogs has been something I've been researching lately. And uh, it seems like it's kind of a weird mix between cryptid and paranormal because there's two sides to it. You hear all these different uh, cases where it's like they're they're they absorb into like a mist or they like disappear or they come out of nowhere. Or you hear about like people getting scorched by these things. And then on the mm -hmm. other side of it, uh, there was uh, the 2013, I think it was 2013, Dig Ventures uh, was digging in England near where the Black Shuck encounters happened. Uh, it was about 12 miles south, I believe, from where both of the original churches were. And they found the skeletal remains of a seven-foot uh, dog that they assume would have weighed about 200 pounds. So that kind of brings it into like more of like the cryptid space. But it's kind of a mix of both. Like I, it's you start digging into stuff and you realize that it's like more like one of those circle charts where you take any particular phenomenon and it just kind of touches a little bit into everything, but maybe sits a little bit more into one in particular. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, as time has gone on, I, I've come to realize that, um, cryptids for the most part are supernatural beings. And, um, they, they may, they may be, corporeal as well but uh they they do have aspects of supernatural mixed in with them and uh when you do an investigation it, it's almost always something else involved with it another aspect of the paranormal so um you know there's a fine line between all the all of, uh, the aspects of the supernatural i believe so I'd like to dig into your uh, your Mothman stuff you've been looking into lately. I've been noticing on mm -hmm. your show, obviously, you've been posting a lot of uh, episodes that are pertaining to the Chicago Mothman. Uh, but for anybody that may not be familiar with your research on that, uh, why don't you kind of let them know a little bit about where you're at with it and possibly even your stance as far as I know that kind of bounces back and forth between interdimensional, paranormal, and kind of in the cryptid space. That, that one's kind of a weird one that touches all three bases when it comes to any of the Mothman type things. Yeah, you know, I've... Um I, I did have an encounter back in 1988, so you know I, it, I've always been I've always been interested in in the winged humanoid or uh, Mothman type of uh, phenomena. Uh, I've done a lot of research over the years down in Point Pleasant, so of course I've you know I was kind of tuned into a lot of that. But uh, in in 2011, there were three sightings in South Chicago on three different occasions of a, uh, of a winged being that somewhat humanoid. And, uh, there was kind of a stir about it at the time, but it, you know, after, you know, that was 2011. So that kind of waned and we weren't hearing much beyond that, but starting in the, the spring of 2017, it really started to pick up. Now the early sightings came into MUFON and they didn't really do much with it. Uh, they kind of, they posted it on the CMS and, uh, but I, they weren't investigating it. So, um, so when this started in 2017, they started getting some of the early sightings. And just like before, they weren't really looking into it. Um, 
for whatever reason, but that's just the way MUFON is, you know, unless it's a nuts and bolt craft or something that's flying around and looks mechanical and, you know, they, they kind of stay away from the cryptid and for the most part, even the alien stuff, they really don't get involved with a lot of that. Well, anyway, uh, the individual who I had been working with, Manuel Navarrete, who lives in Chicago, he and I started looking into more of these sightings that started in 2017. And uh, we started reporting it on the blog and, and trying to get as much detail as we could. And the sightings kept continuing on. There were about four or five sightings that got reported to move on. Then we put it out there that if uh, there were other people that were having these encounters to contact us, and then we started getting sighting reports. So um, then subsequently, uh, Tobias Whalen over at Singular Fortean Research um, came, in, came on the team, and we all three started working together on this. So we've kind of been taking most of this ourselves since then. And... Uh, it, <laughs> It's kind of evolved over, over time. Um, at this point right now, we, we've got up to about 165 sightings um, that we believe are viable sightings. Now, I know there's many more than that, but there have been other sightings that just didn't quite cut the standard for us. So, But we've got to die by 165, and it continues on. I mean, we've had five or six sightings this year so far. and uh, But for the most part... Most of the sightings since 2019 have been centered around uh, O'Hare International and the um, and the neighborhoods around there. But it's a continuing uh, it's a continuing phenomenon, and it, it's spread out beyond the city. We're we're taking the sighting reports 250 miles radius of downtown Chicago, so uh, it's getting into uh, Wisconsin, down further into um, Illinois, and into Indiana. So, uh, but it's you know, it's kind of a regional thing more so than just Chicago. Have you uh, noticed, I know everybody ever, at least the uh, Point Pleasant Mothman likes to kind of gear it as like the harbinger of doom or like you see it before something bad happens, but does it kind of yeah. seem like it might be the case with this one at all? And then, yeah, I mean, I don't believe, I don't believe in the harbinger theory myself. I, I just haven't seen any evidence to support that. Um, especially at Point Pleasant and what's been going on in Chicago. I mean, the um, the Point Pleasant sightings. Then eventually, there was the bridge collapse, the Silver Bridge collapse in in uh, December nineteen sixty seven. Uh, you know, it's kind of after the fact where people came forward and said, "Well, we saw the uh, Mothman above the bridge not long before it happened, and it was a harbinger or a portent of doom or something." You know, what I think happened was, of course, you're in a small town. You got 46 people that died suddenly and tragically around Christmas time. People are looking for answers. And I think because the Mothman had been a story or something that had been going on, that kind of got tied into it. Um, of course, since that has occurred, there have been other supposed sightings of these things following are previous, but then people coming forward afterwards saying that there was a sighting of one of these things. And that there just hasn't been any evidence. There's only one instance where I, where I believe there may be in connection was the Blackbird of Chernobyl, mm, yeah. which was a sighting uh, that was going on for about a week before the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. 
uh, were people in the town nearby and, and then people that were working at the power plant had seen this large black flying being above the reactor. Now, I don't know what it was. I, I don't think it was humanoid. It may have just been a big bird. We don't know what it was. But uh, that's the only instance of some documentation before it actually happened. So now, of course, when all this started going on in Chicago, I was literally, in, especially around the summer of 2017, I was having, I was having people call me 24-7 about what's going to happen in Chicago because people, it, it started, the fear factor started, you know, uh, coming into all this and people were concerned. And I, I tried to play it down as much as I could. And, you know, eventually I think it did. Uh, and since all of that, I don't, I don't think there's anything that in Chicago that or any type of activity in Chicago that can be related to the sightings. I mean, it seems like uh, at least from the Chicago aspect of it, maybe even a little bit of like the Point Pleasant one. Uh, actually, I guess even kind of connecting with the Blackbird a little bit. You talked about it being seen near the O'Hare Airport, and it seems like that's also a frequent spot as far as like UFO sightings go. And then you have like the UFO interest in nuclear reactors, uh, different nuclear sites. So then that kind of connects in with the Blackbird. Um, I guess even like the TNT plant could possibly kind of fit in with that. But I mean, I frequently change my opinion on this, but it seems like uh, at least with if you're kind of trying to connect all three of those, that it might seem like something a little bit more on like the extraterrestrial slash interdimensional side of things more so than anything. Um, maybe even if it's something that's just perfect time and place that something happened to come through. But I mean, as far as Chicago goes, it seems like, you know, it may not get as much recognition as, you know, Point Pleasant, uh, but it seems like it has a lot more sightings than Point Pleasant ever had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I personally believe, and I think a couple other people on the team believe that these sightings have been of a uh, interdimensional being. Uh, and I, I think most cryptids are interdimensional, to be quite honest with you. I think they all do have supernatural aspects to them. But I think um, that these sightings are of a actual corporeal being that is able to move between um, dimensions, you know, between our Earth dimension and a linear dimension beyond that. Uh, I just don't think it's one being. I think it's several beings that have come in at different periods of time. So um, the fact that a lot of it was going on in Chicago, I think we I think there may possibly be some portals around the airport, in particular around the western part of the airport, around where the uh, the cemetery is located, because there's a cemetery at O'Hare. And um, I, I think that area may very well have portals or some type of gateway to where these things are coming in and out. And, yeah, we you talked about the UFO activity. There has been some UFO activity associated with some of these sightings. I don't think they're, they're really part of the actual sightings i think they're the ufos maybe something to do with these beings being followed or being tracked down by possibly extraterrestrial or other type of beings because there have been humanoid sightings as well associated with these beings so um yeah i mean i, I think there's a lot going on and um so you know as far as pinpointing exactly what's going on we haven't even got to that point yet now i've written two books about it but uh i i still can't really come out and say exactly what is going on there 
I, like I said, I've got my theories, and I think almost everybody on the team has their theories. But uh, as to what it really is, we, we just really don't know. I mean, I kind of wonder, too, if it seems like when it comes to like UFOs, for example, they're not really coming from the sky like people like to imagine for a long time. It seems like the best theoretical way to travel would be interdimensionally. So I kind of wonder if these are just partly like an after effect, as in maybe, I don't want to say necessarily like a bird flying close to the UFO, but something that kind of maybe gets pulled through a portal as these things come through. Or maybe if they are splitting something and creating portals and coming through. Maybe there's other sides to it where these things are coming from another parallel dimension, but because there is a portal created in that area, they're mainly just flying through the at the uh, the hole as it's open. But then it kind of comes into question too, and I don't know if you've uh, kind of been able to dig into it as far as like your encounters go, uh, like the intelligence factor of these things. If they seem like they're more animalistic, where it's something just accidentally flying through, or if it's something that's an intelligent being uh, where it maybe is able to like interact and it full well knows what it's doing when it's flying through these portals. Oh, I, I think they. I, I think there is intelligence involved there. Um, they, you know, when the, the, the sightings are made, they, they seem they don't seem to shy away from it. They they want to be seen, in, in my opinion. Um, but the fact that there is not really a whole lot of evidence supporting it, as far as like video or uh, or photographic evidence, uh, you know, most of the sightings are fleeting sightings. They're very quick. And, um, you know, with the shock value as far, far as when it happens and people reacting to it or grabbing their phone and getting a shot of it, it's just not enough time normally to even do that. Um, but there have been some pretty close encounters involved with this. So, um, but maybe one day we'll get something. I mean, you know, I, I, I think the anecdotal evidence kind of supports what's going on. Um, you know, it's just like the Bigfoot or any other type of cryptid. I mean, there there is some sometimes there's sometimes there's photographic evidence to possibly support it. It's not a whole lot. There's no physical evidence. Uh, we haven't found a body or any real physical evidence of the creature, and that alone makes me believe that they, they're interdimensional travelers of some type. Do they seem like they come in with uh, different descriptions of what they look like? Because, um, I mean, even with, like, Sasquatch, you have, like, the different, like, variations of Sasquatch. Uh, I'm kind of curious if these things, if they're all just possibly one of the same type of species or if they're different, there's different variations of them. I, I think they all come from the same place, let's put it that way. Um, there have been some variations early on. We had the more insectoid type of uh, being with the, the insectoid wing. Uh, then we had other people that were calling them lachusas or somewhat like an owl. Oh, the lachusas or yeah, we had a few of those. We, you know, and those have been mixed, but for the most part, it's a bat-like, gargoyle-like wing, uh, a membrane wing. And uh, I, I'd say ninety to ninety-five percent of the sightings have been that. Do they all seem to have like the same common trope with uh, the glowing red eyes, or have you noticed any different like? Uh, different variants in eye color or anything too well it's it's mostly the red eyes but it's not all the time occasionally there's no eye color or no eye reflection of the light or projection of light from the eyes and these aren't reflected like these are projected light from what the witnesses tell us and i know the one i had was projected light um but 
there have been a few other colors. We've had green color, green eyes and blue eyes. Uh, those were actually up in, in Wisconsin. Uh, so uh, there has been some variation there, but for the most part, it's been the red eye. Have they all had like the same color as far as their body and stuff goes too, or have there been like different variations for that too? Well, it's it's been dark. Let's put it that way. For the most part, it's been a really dark type of uh, body, very emaciated, thin body, uh, humanoid. Uh, but sometimes it's described as being very shiny, uh, almost like it's wet. And then sometimes it says it looks like fur. So, I mean, there are a few variations. Um, so kind of, kind of moving towards, uh, into the, like your, your, uh, flying humanoid story. Um, I'm assuming you probably found something that was kind of along like the same, the same appearance. Um, but what what was exactly your story? What, what did you end up seeing when you saw one of these things? Well, I'll just go ahead and start from the beginning. This was 2000, this was 1988. Um, I was living down in Baltimore at the time and there was an individual who I used to be in Boy Scouts with when I lived back up here in Pennsylvania. And he was a, he was a scout leader, and he was part of some get together down in in Timonium, Maryland. That I had to be at a I was actually at a, another one of the pavilions, and I came over there and we ran into each other. And now this guy knew I was involved with the paranormal, even though I hadn't seen him in almost a dozen years, because he used to spend time on the bat- Gettysburg battlefield with me when I was a kid, and. Um, but anyway, we got together, started talking, and um, as we were going through things, he was telling me, he said, you know, I know you're still involved with the paranormal, but there's something been going on at old Camp Conewago, which is a camps, uh, a campground that's north of me where I'm at now. It's north of Gettysburg. And uh, he said, uh, another troop leader and I are going up there next week to investigate why these troops all summer long, now this is in the fall, all summer long have been run out of the campsites. They've been hearing screaming sounds and it's been scaring them and they've been leaving. And he asked well, if I wanted to come up there and um, camp out with them that weekend and try to investigate the area and see if we could come up with something. Yeah, of course, I had never been involved in any of the, the winged humanoids or Mothman stuff. I knew about it. I knew about the Mothman story. But I said, yeah, I'd, I'd come up there. So, you know, this is back in 1988. This is a time when I didn't mind sleeping on the ground in a tent and, and not worry about not getting up in the morning. So, <laughs> Dealing with it for know. the rest of the day when you can't move your back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could handle that back then. But anyway, I met them up the campsite. It was a, a Friday evening, Friday afternoon. And um, we hiked into the woods, into the camping areas. And... Um, we set up camp, and by the time we got everything set up, it was about six in the after, six in the evening. Uh, we started a fire, and we were sitting around the campsite. There wasn't anything going on, and we kind of hit the sack early because we wanted to spend a lot of time in the woods that, that next day. So when we woke up on Saturday, we were sitting around the campfire eating, and the other guy mentioned that or asked if we had heard anything walking around the campsite. And I did. I, I did hear something walking around. I thought it was just one of them getting up, going to the woods and relieve themselves or whatever. You know, it could have been a deer. It could have been a lot of other things. I mean, a lot of wildlife up there. So, um, you know, we, you know, we talked about that a bit, but I, I, you know, there was nothing disturbed in the campsite, so we didn't give it much thought. 
So that day, that Saturday, we spent all day in the woods. I mean, we were hiking in and out. There's some, there's a, um, uh, there's a state game land not far from there. And we were moving in. And I, I guess we did about 15 miles that day. So we got back to the campsite, I guess, about six o'clock or so in the evening, started cooking dinner and such. And, um, you know, we were sitting around campfire, just talking football and whatever came to mind. And, you know, we, it wasn't anything going on. So it got, it started getting late, I guess it was about 10 or 11 or so. And we just, you know, nothing had been going on. So, um, as we were sitting there, we heard a screaming sound coming from the West deeper into the woods. Now it, it didn't really seem like anything unusual to me. Uh, you know, wildlife makes a whole lot of screaming sounds. <laughs> I mean, deer and, you know, even rabbits scream sometimes. Did it sound almost like a human scream when you heard it or was it more like no, an not animalistic the first scream? time, not the first time, but you know, we kind of took that in consideration, but sat around, but then about a half hour later, then we heard this real blood curdling scream. And it did. It sounded like a woman screaming or a child screaming. It was pretty loud and kind of moved in and out. Like whatever it was, was moving around the woods or possibly flying. So that was about 11, 1130 from what I could tell. And uh, we decided, well, we're going to stay up tonight and maybe something will show up. So, okay. So we sat around there and, you know, we were... I don't know how long we were there. I guess it was till about one o'clock. And then I got up to stretch my legs and I walked out and our campsite was located right beside the Creek. There was a trail between our campsite and the Creek. So I walked out on the trail and I told you I was intuitive. So I kind of, I kind of got this strange feeling. I, I, you know, I can't really pinpoint what it was. I didn't see anything, but I, when I walked back to the camp, campfire I, I told this guy why don't we grab our flashlight to go out on the trail and see if we you know come across anything and we did so we're walking back to back up the trail we weren't 50 to 100 feet out of that campsite when we we noticed to our right standing in the creek and the creek was pretty low at this time of year these two red lights and two eyes and by the time we got our flashlights on this thing, it literally jettisons itself straight up into the air. It even had a whooshing sound, we audible whooshing to it. Whew. And when it got to its apex, it screamed and started flying away. We could hear it flying off. So uh, all in all, we kind of freaked out, got back to the, quickly got back to the campsite. My buddy wasn't talking. It, it scared the crap out of him. And um, the other guy and I were talking. And he mentioned to me, he said, did you, did you see anything on its back? And I did. I saw something out, you know, some type of structure on its back. But if it was wings, they weren't spread out. I mean, it was on the back. Uh, but this thing didn't use its wings or anything to jettison itself into the air. It was almost like it was a rocket that just took off. <laughs> so, um, you know, after sitting there talking for a while, the uh, and we also the red eyes. They, I mean, the light just projected right out on this thing. It was almost like almost like headlights, red headlights. And uh, my buddy said, "You know, I'm not staying around here for the night. I'm going to go up the administration building and sleep up there. He's got the key to it." So, him and the other guy went up there and spent the night. I stayed up the rest of the night around the campsite. I wanted to see this thing again. Oh yeah, I would have too. Of course, nothing showed up. So um, yeah, that was my experience. 
And, you know, I didn't really talk a whole lot about it for a long time. And in fact, I didn't even really report it or mention it or write about it until maybe 20 years later. Uh, around 2008, I posted something about it on the blog. And I described it in detail what had happened. And not long after I posted it, the word started getting around locally about it. I had a, uh, a gentleman who lived at Dick's Dam, which is just upstream from where we were, mentioned that, you know, for the last 20 years, he had heard something screaming around the area, and he didn't know what it was. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, maybe this guy, you know. So I talked to him for a while about it. Then not long after that, I got an email from another scout leader who told me that he and his troop had been up to Camp Conewago just a couple of weeks previous to that. And um, the boys, on you know, it was during the day on a, on a Saturday, they had been out on the trail but came running back all freaked out and told him they saw a dragon on the trail. That's what they described it as, a dragon. Did they see it in like light? Were they able to see if this thing kind of yeah, had like, was, a scale it? was in the it? daytime, and that's what they described as being a dragon. You know, I don't know. I guess it saw they saw the wings and just assumed it was a, a dragon or something. Since so, um, he thought the, they were pulling his leg. It's one of those typical you things. Know, he didn't really give of... it much thought, but you know they stayed for the weekend. They didn't leave, and uh, but there was some apprehension from what he told me. But now he wonders if they really did see this thing. So uh, then, subsequently over the years. Uh, I've received five or six different sighting reports up and down the Conewago Creek of something very similar to what I, I saw. And uh, we've had other sightings around here as well. This We've had several winged humanoid sightings in this area in south-central Pennsylvania. So um, there's something around. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, all these years after I had my encounter, then... I kind of fall into this whole Mothman thing in Chicago. And uh, and honestly, the descriptions of what people are seeing in and around Chicago is very similar to what we saw. So um, is there some synchronicity there because of that? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it does seem weird. I've talked about it with several people, and it just seems that there is some type of connection there to it. So, um, yeah, so... There it is. I mean, take it for what it's worth, but uh, you know, it's it. It does seem that maybe was I destined to just to report on this or talk about this or, or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say it's almost like a calling to it, where you happen yeah. to be like in the perfect area where it seems like there's a huge upspike of these things. And I mean, even running your blog and stuff, have you noticed that there's any other areas outside of like the Midwest where these things are really seen? Besides, of course, the Blackbird of Chernobyl. Uh, there have been areas where there had been a few sightings at one time. Uh, about the time this started in Chicago 2017, we were getting some sightings down in Pasco County, Florida. Uh, there were three sightings in, in a year around Zephyr Hills, uh, which is southwest of uh, Tampa. Southeast of Tampa, sorry. And uh, then we've had, we've had sightings down in, in, in several areas, in Texas, South Texas. And here in Pennsylvania as well. So, uh, but as far as sustained sightings, other than, you know, 
in the Chicago area, the upper Midwest, not really. It's it's just not, you know, we we do take, uh, I do get scattered sightings worldwide. But as far as what's been going on out in Chicago and what happened at Point Pleasant back in the late 60s, there hasn't really been any comparison. And you're uh, pick up, picking up of all these different types of stories. Have you noticed that there's any other variants of, of these things internationally as far as, like, do they all have the typical black with the red eyes or are there different variations of like bird men and bird uh, type creatures? Of course, besides La Lechusa with the owl thing down in like Mexico and, yeah. you know, New Mexico, Texas, that kind of area. There are some differences. Um, yeah. Like you said, down around the Rio Grande, up and down the Rio Grande in the, in South Texas, there it, it's mostly the Lechusa sightings uh, and something related to that. Uh, there are a lot of pterosaur sightings down there as well. And the pterosaur is something else that we've had people experience in and around Chicago and the upper Midwest as well. So, um, you know, whatever that is, is that an interdimensional being or is that something that's natural? I don't know. But uh, the Thunderbird sightings, can you know, can you relate that? They're not humanoid and the pterosaurs aren't humanoid, but... They're, of course, they're cryptid winged beings that uh, just seem to show up in that area. And there is some historical aspect to that as well in the upper Midwest. So, um, no, I think, um, you know, worldwide we, we get different sightings of a lot of different things. But as far as the, um, the bat-like wings that what's going on in Chicago and around Chicago, that's pretty exclusive for that area. Then but then again, what people saw down in Florida was about the same thing as well. It, it depends. Um, but most of our sightings have been North America. Have you noticed that uh, these things, I know everybody kind of likes to put like this this malevolent feel to these things. But um, have you kind of like picked up on that exactly? Or does it seem like they're more so like they just follow a car because it's like a moving object? Like, does it seem like they have some kind of like negative attention or they're just something that happens to be there? Yeah, I don't think there's any uh, malevolency involved with this. Um, they don't seem to be too aggressive. They they will bluff charge or something like that occasionally. But uh, as far as making physical contact, I only know one instance, and that was kind of secondhand information of uh, someone having physical contact with it. Um, we've had people who have got very near it. Um, but as far as physical contact, no. Some people have been affected by being near it. Uh, two instances where uh, the witness literally lost the use of their legs and fell to the ground. So is there some type of psychic or PK abilities these things have? I don't know. It could be. But um, they they do seem to have some, you know, people talk about that with Bigfoot and cryptic canines as well, that it's kind of a, like a uh, defensive mechanism to get people to back away from them. But uh, these winged humanoids seem to, you know, they, they seem to um, they seem to want to grab attention. They want to be seen, it seems like. Uh, they're not shy about being seen. Uh, so um, is, it, is it something that it's just something they get into as far as the shock value of it? I don't know. But uh, no, as far as malevolence, I haven't really, I haven't really seen that. Have you uh, heard any reports of anybody picking up any type of like trace evidence? Because I assume these things would probably be like landing up in trees instead of on the ground. So they might not necessarily leave footprints on the ground, but maybe even like claw marks up in trees or anything like that. 
Not really. You know, we, we, we haven't gotten any physical evidence, any trace evidence. There have been a few things that people have noticed that we have associated with like an ammonia smell. People have talked about sometimes when they are, are close to it or in an area where it had, had just been. Um, sometimes people have mentioned that it seems like when it takes off, it, it defecates. But we haven't got any physical evidence of that. Um, it's, 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 it's bizarre. Um, I think for the most part, when people do experience it, they're just trying to get away from it as quick as they can. Then later on realize, eh, maybe I'll report this or whatever. And, um, you know, so, you know, or somebody will tell them, and this is what happens a lot in Chicago. They, they'll have the encounter. They'll talk to friends and family. And then they find out that this has actually been going on in, you know, in Chicago. So they decide to contact us. See, uh, when we talk about like the interdimensional aspect of these things, uh, I kind of wonder if some of these things happen to get through through like time slips. And I mean, with a lot of different cryptids, I kind of wonder if that's something that happens because it seems like it happens a lot with people. And if that's the case, that these things are accidentally kind of falling through the cracks during time slips, uh, I wonder if it's one of those things where like the timeline wants to correct itself. So if they're like defecating, for example, when they go to lift off. I wonder if when that time slip corrects itself, if every piece of material that was left by this thing gets corrected into that proper timeline again, or if they would leave residual stuff. But I feel like it would almost make more sense that it would pretty much correct and bring everything back to where it should be. Yeah, I, I, I think it's possible it could be a time slip, though. Uh, you know, and I've talked to people who have been, you know, had... In, in, in like experienced a parallel universe where they they kind of go through some something and not realize it, but they're they know they're in the same area, but things just look differently. Or uh, and then they come back, and uh, I don't know if that's the case. It could be time slip, but I, I think th they have some ability to manipulate how they move in and out. And um, I think that it's intentional. Now, as far as uh, if they do change, I, I think they probably do not look like what we see them as. Uh, of course, everybody has their own perception of what they look at. And uh, maybe maybe there is some delineation there. I, I really don't know. I mean, that's something that we really haven't been able to figure out. But uh, I think I think it's a good possibility that what we see or what the witnesses see isn't what this thing normally looks like, even in their own dimension. I mean, that would kind of fit in with uh, a lot of the theories involving like shadow people, for example, that, I mean, I've talked about a lot on the show about they may consist of colors that we are not able to actually pick up and see. So rather than us mm -hmm. being able to see these colors, it just comes across as like straight black or maybe in these things, parallel dimension, you know, they could be like these bright, magnificent colors, but they're just things that our eyes aren't able to pick up. So they just come across as completely black. And I mean, even theoretically connecting with that too, um, people, when it talk, comes to like shadow people, I mean, I've kind of thrown the theory around that they might come from like a dark dimension. And if these uh, mothmen and bird-like beings have the eyes that were reflecting color or reflecting light back out, it kind of seems like they might kind of fit in with that category that maybe they come from a darker place. And the reason why they have the eyes that reflect color out is to actually help them see. And that also might be why that seems like there's a lot more activity with these things at night than during the days because they're more comfortable and they might be nocturnal to some extent or just at least used to being somewhere dark. Well, we, we thought from the beginning, we thought early on that it was it was mostly a, something that was seen at night. But, you know, as time has gone on, 
There hasn't been really any uh, specific. I mean, all times of day, all weather, you know. Uh, I don't know what, you know, if it, if it does prefer being at a certain weather, a certain time of day, I don't know. Uh, that's just something we haven't been able to figure out. Now, we've had a lot of theories over the year. I mean, we, you know, we've we looked into even the occult and uh, possible something to do with um, uh, portals opening up because of a possible uh, accelerator use. Because there is an excel, there is a particle accelerator outside of Chicago. Um, maybe that happened because there had been an accident at this particle accelerator and it was shut down. That's the Fermi Labs outside, you know, in DuPage County. I think that's the page. Maybe it's Cook. I don't know. But um, we looked into that. We looked into a lot of other things. But quite frankly, at this point, we still don't have any idea when or why they're doing this. Uh, all we do know is that in, in some cases, we've had these things show up simultaneously in, in areas miles and miles away from each other. I mean, just to throw in another theory on it, too, I mean, they have like the Raven mockers when you're talking about like Native American lore that seems to fit very well with like the common trope of these mothmen and birdmen. Uh, but I kind of wonder if it's maybe something that's a little bit more natural, so to speak, than I mean, the particle accelerators for sure, but kind of connecting it a little bit more with that. Uh, I've kind of created some of my own portal theories, and it seems like it coincides with a lot of different events that there was some type of volcano at one point that left a bunch of uh, magnetized volcanic rock and when you have that mixed with some type of other rock that preserves energy such as like quartz for example and then some type of like low seismic activity or some type of humming uh, it seems like in the areas that I've looked in as far as like Kentucky uh, the Lake Michigan Triangle the Bermuda Triangle a lot of them have these same common things in common so I kind of wonder if it's you know Portals are being open, but it's actually something more natural than that. And now I'm kind of curious if, at least Chicago, if maybe that's like the heavier spot of where the anomaly kind of happens, and that's why these things are seen there. But at least from my research as far as Michigan goes, because I'm I'm from Michigan myself, um, where the UP is, there was a lot of seismic or volcanic activity, um, like predating like the the glaciers and everything like that up there, and it left volcanic rock that drifted into Lake Michigan. And it is magnetized, too. So it seems like, again, that kind of fits that trope of that. And also kind of looking into, like, Chernobyl, I wonder if that would kind of fit there, too, that there might be some type of, like, magnetized volcanic rock there, too. I don't know. You know, there's a, if, if I've learned anything, there are, a lot, there are just hot spots everywhere. Uh, and I, I think Chicago is a particular, is a particular area where there's a lot of paranormal activity, regardless of just what's been going on there with these beings. It's an area that's well known for UFO activity and paranormal activity. Um, why that is, 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 is it because of the groundwater and the, uh, the, a lot of water around the area? It could be. You know, there's a lot of theories. Um, but as far as being able to tie it all together somehow, we just haven't been able to do that. And believe me, we've tried. It, you know, we've looked at all types of different evidence and tried to hook it up. But, you know... It seems like when we do get to, you know, get to a point where maybe we believe there's there's something associated with it, then something else happens and just completely blows it out of the water. So, um, yeah, this and, and you know, this phenomena, it, it's just, um, I don't know, it's just an enigma at this point. 
Yeah, ain't that the truth? I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things that it's it's always going to pop up, and it seems like there's specific pocket areas. And like currently, it's happening in Chicago, but I wonder if the location is going to shift eventually, and these sightings are going to be seen in a different area to a high extent. It's possible. I mean, the fact that this is going on in an urban area, Chicagoland in general, is just unique. I mean, we we just don't get that with cryptid activity. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it may show up someplace else, but I think there's got to be there's got to be a connection there somehow with go- something that's going on in the area. And of course, that's what we've been looking into. I mean, at least for Chicago, I'm not saying that there's any type of like big or crazy event going on, but I mean, Chicago is known as like one of the most dangerous cities now. So I wonder if that kind of coexists with it, where the reason why you're seeing all these sightings isn't because of one particular event, but rather that like the whole demeanor as far as crime goes in the city is amping up. So it's just one of those things where there's the negative aspect going on and this thing's connected with it. And I mean, that just may be a maybe just a victim of circumstance that these things happen to happen at the same time. Or maybe again, the reason why there's constant sightings in Chicago is because there is constant like heavy crime going on in Chicago and it seems to just be amping up as the years go on. I don't know. There may be a cumulative effect to it. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've kind of looked at everything so far you know, when I wrote the the Mothman Dynasty book, I had everybody who was on it, and we had a task force back then. So it was about five or well, about seven or eight of us that were looking into this specifically. And at the end of the book, I had everybody write what they thought it was, their theory. And we, you know, out of eight people, we had eight different opinions. So, of course, none of us really knew what it was. And as time has gone on, it really, it really still hasn't changed. Though I think the three of us who are mostly involved with it now uh, believe that there is a there is a supernatural aspect to it. See, I wonder if it's uh, theoretically somewhat of like the energy vampire concept that ne- it's not necessarily like warning people that anything bad's going to happen or that something huge is going to happen, but maybe there's just concentrated areas where there's the negative energy and it's just able to like absorb that energy and use it to some extent. If you're looking at it from the more like woo woo, so to speak aspect. Yeah. No, that could be, that could be, I mean, you know, you talked about shadow people and, and other entities that, that absorb energy and feed off energy. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to, if you want to compare it to that somehow, yeah, maybe that is true. Uh, maybe these these beings that we believe are not part of our earth plane or indigenous to our earth plane do feed off of energy. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a possibility. So uh, I guess kind of switching gears up a little bit, because I'm sure you talk about the Mothman thing all the time, and you probably uh, wouldn't mind talking about some other stuff here and there, too. Uh, one of my personal favorite things that I like to talk about frequently on the show is Sasquatch. And you had mentioned that you had had two Sasquatch encounters. And uh, considering more. you take... oh. Well, one, one encounter, and I guess uh, considering that you take in so much, too, I'd love to get your opinion inside as far as uh, what you think Sasquatch could theoretically be, too. Well, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of, I kind of skirt the the two theories, um, and I think they both are valid. I think there are indigenous you know, hairy hominids that live on on Earth. Uh, I think there are flesh and blood beings, specifically in the Pacific Northwest and that area up there, down in Florida and around the Gulf and such. I think there are pods or groups or actual families that that do exist. 
And uh, but I do believe that for the most part, the Sasquatch phenomena is of a interdimensional being, just like I do think of a lot of other cryptids, or most cryptids. I think they're um, I think what people see are something that is that makes itself uh, known or seen or manifest onto our plane, but has the ability to move off. And, and the reason I say that is I have talked to so many people over the years, even what's been going on in Chicago, where people would see this being and suddenly it would disappear uh, and vice versa. It would, then it was something would suddenly manifest very near them and uh, just show up. And I've had I have instances of that happening with Bigfoot, cryptic canines, winged humanoids, a whole lot of things. See, I've kind of wondered, too, if uh, a lot of these things could all theoretically be the same type of being, but rather it's just an idea that it projects a certain image on you. Like, uh, you kind of have the idea with, like, Sasquatch that they just instantly disappear. It may not be that they actually are disappearing, but they could just be projecting, yeah, projecting, like, the thought that they're not there and you can't see them. And, I mean, even kind of bringing it back to how, like, lights are usually seen a lot around a lot of different cryptids, uh, I often wonder if possibly the lights could be the base of these things, or maybe that's the being itself, or that's how they theoretically travel interdimensionally, and then they pick a form once they're actually here, but maybe they're actually able to manipulate their form, or maybe, again, it's just projecting a form onto you based on what they're trying to do at the time uh, and how they want to scare you away from them or if they want to draw you in to, to you know, kind of see what's going on with them. Well, th there there has been a phenomenon that's kind of uh, been more prevalent the past decade or so. We call it the glimmer man effect. Um, and me and a couple other gentlemen are, are talking about actually writing a book about it because we've been getting a lot of these sightings. But all in all, the, the glimmer man effect is something that people describe us. And if you're if you're familiar with the Predator movies, where these uh, the alien in the Predator movie just seems to have this glimmer man uh, camouflage that you know it, you see the outline, but you see this kind of wavy thing. Uh, and uh, we've been getting a lot of sightings of that. Um, I th I think. There's a good possibility that this may be some type of cloaking device or cloaking abilities that uh, these, uh, particularly Bigfoot, do have. I have seen, I have had some pictures of this effect people have taken in areas where there's heavy Bigfoot activity. And in fact, I, I did see a, um, I did have a um, photograph of, uh, it was taken as a, uh, in Ohio, of a uh, kind of a half manifested Bigfoot, and when the other half of it, it was kind of this glimmer effect. So um, I, I, I think it's a possibility, though. You know, it's going to take a lot more research, but um, I, I'm starting to lean toward that this may be some type of cloaking abilities that that they use. Now, what it is, I don't know. You know, the people who the people who wrote, and I've looked into this. I, I, I've even talked to the people who actually wrote the screenplay for the Predator movies. And uh, they kind of they were kind of tight-lipped about it. I, I asked if maybe how they get the concept of that for the movie or for the, you know, for the screenplay. And uh, they weren't saying, they weren't saying much at all. So uh, did one of those guys experience something like that and then write it into a script? I don't know. 
I, I just don't know, but um, it, it's uh, it's interesting. I you know, and the fact that people are reporting it, and more and more as time has gone on, uh, maybe there is some connection there. I mean, at least for the movie, that could have been one of those like soft disclosure kind of concepts because it yeah. seems like there's a lot of stuff that comes out in movies. Like Harry and the Hendersons is a perfect example that Hollywood kind of takes over the main narrative of it. So then if anybody reports these types of things, the best association people have is with a movie. So, you know, people that dig into like weird phenomenon, you know, we're going to listen to it, of course, but the average person is just going to go, oh, that reminds me of Predator or, oh, that reminds me of this movie. So then it's like it kind of like hides the topic within it and and maybe that's why a lot of these guys are kind of tight lipped about it is because maybe they were just kind of simply told like, Hey, I need you to include this in the movie. And maybe they didn't really get any kind of background for it. Or maybe yeah. it was something simply that they purposely fell across on the internet or, you know, not, not back, you know, when they're writing predator, for example, but just something that kind of got like slipped across their desk and they were just kind of like, Oh, where, where did this come from? This is a great idea. We should include this in the movie. And it's just close, soft disclosure here and there to just to tear away from the actual topic happening. You know, this this whole winged humanoid um, phenomenon, we've had many people, and I wrote about it in the book, many people associated with the Jeepers Creepers movie. Uh, and that's how they described it. And, uh, you know, they, you know, people, people kind of try to associate whatever they see that they can't explain with something that they're familiar with. Uh, it's all perception, of course, but, you know, when you get a large amount of people saying the same thing, you, you kind of take notice of it. So, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of that. Um, so even just like with UFOs and aliens and such people will try to associate it. Many times they, they talk about close encounters and, and the third kind and other films and such. And they try to associate it with that. I hear that all the time. Um, but, as far as cryptos go, yeah, the Jeepers Creepers thing, and then with this this Glimmer Man effect, and uh, and uh, the Predator films, you know, it it does it is prevalent. People do bring it up a lot. I mean, just to bring up another kind of funny connection with movies, uh, I know I was talking to Tim Schwartz about it a long time ago. Uh, he was saying that Tim Beckley used to write for The Inquirer, and he mm -hmm. said that they checked in his stuff like harder than most places did. Like They wanted straight facts before they would actually publish anything. And there's mm -hmm. a scene in Men in Black where uh, the, one, the one agent goes to Will Smith. He says, you know, if you want to find any weird stories going on, like this is the way to go. And he picks up the Inquirer. And I've often wondered since Tim told me that if that was kind of weirdly soft disclosure that you see it in the movie and now you're going to associate it as something funny. But realistically, they're kind of saying like, oh, this magazine is for real. Ha ha ha. When it actually is for real. But people are just associating it with that funny scene in the movie now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> That Men in Black, the films, when the Men in Black films first came out, it's kind of funny how many MIB sightings that really started picking up after that. Um, so uh, it's not necessarily the same thing, but people are seeing. It's, it's, you know, and as far as people seeing the Men in Black and then be associated with, with uh, alien beings, we just haven't seen that connection. But, of course, when the, it's suggested... Uh, in a film or some other troupe. Uh, and of course, just like with, uh, with the Slender Man and um, these other uh, memes and tropes, uh, people kind of associate it, maybe unconsciously associated with what they see. 
I mean, that might create a tulpa on its own too, because once oh, people kind of build it up, then yeah, they start no, actually I mean, seeing this thing. You talk about poltergeist. I mean, a poltergeist is nothing but a tulpa or a thought form manifestation. Um, it's not really. It's not really a. It's not a spirit. It's it's an energy, but it's uh, it's an unconscious uh, manifestation by a living being. Uh, they may not understand it, and they're why it developed, but there's a lot of reasons behind it. Um, you know, I've been involved with, with poltergeist cases where, and look, they're, they're difficult to take care of because it's something you can really can't do yourself. The person who is unconsciously manifesting this energy are the ones that really. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You have to take care of their own, but it's, 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 it's a matter of just... Um, kind of tamping down the energy, the negative energy that kind of formed these things. And, um, yeah, I mean, PK is, uh, is a funny thing. It, 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 uh, you know, we see it a lot and now we're seeing, I think we're seeing it encrypted as well. I mean, at least bringing it to the poltergeist things. I don't get to talk about this too, too much on the show. Uh, from like your research into that, is there like the typical like common trope as far as like it seems like poltergeists only happen in this particular set and family? Because it seems like a lot of people kind of talk about they're based around families that usually have a young daughter. You don't really see them in too many other places unless they have a young daughter. And there's usually the whole thing where she kind of has like the build down where she starts getting to a depressed point. And it seems like maybe it's something that people could manifest possibly just because of being at a low point or maybe going back into the energy vampire idea. Uh, maybe it feeds off of like a, like a specific thing because it knows that it can kind of wedge itself in and build off of it and essentially just become stronger and stronger off of this negative energy getting worse and worse as the poltergeist activity continues on. There are a lot of factors involved with poltergeist activity. Um, you know, I guess the overwhelming theory is that it happens to uh, boys and girls that are coming of age and going through puberty and the hormones are raging and this, this, and that. But I, I think the, the, for the most part, it has to do with the family dynamic as well. If there's a lot of dysfunction going on, uh, maybe as a result of the child going through puberty, there's a lot of mistrust and, you know, unconsciously because the child is, is frustrated that they may unconsciously manifest some type of energy that literally feeds on all the negativity and becomes stronger and stronger. That has been my experience with the cases I had been involved with. And uh, as far as like the poltergeist activity goes too, just at least from your cases, have you noticed any type of like uh like physical presence by anything, or does it seem like it's kind of this thing that stays off in the background and never necessarily like manifests or shows itself? They very rarely show themselves. Um, and, and, and mostly they will only show themselves around the individual who's manifesting the energy. Um, but because I'm intuitive, 
I have been able to mind manifest some of these things on occasion. Mm -hmm. In other words, it'll show itself to me. It, it's it's not very defined. It's more of a mass type of thing. Uh, but the energy is present. And I can feel it a lot of times. But as far as me physically or even psychically trying to alleviate it, no, that's just something I or nobody else can do. Uh, if anybody tells you they can go into a poltergeist case and take care of themselves, they're they're just pulling wool over your eyes because that's just not the case. It, it you know, uh, and it makes it difficult because many times the individual who who's doing the unconscious manifestation, uh, they're either young or just don't understand what's going on, and you just literally have to explain it to them, and that can be a problem, especially if they're underage. The parents don't want to even. You know, don't want even want you bringing this up. You know, I have worked with a lot of kids over the years, and I, I still do. And um, many times when I get in, even to a regular haunting or possession, not really possession, but an attachment, um, the kids who are in the family are, and many times the adults have abilities. And for whatever reason, th th these energies are attracted to these abilities. Now, I'm not talking about something that's manifest. I'm talking about something that's really tangible energy that uh, uh, is spirit energy or even something like an unknown energy, like, like he's talking about a shadow person. Um, all these things feed off of negativity. And it's just a matter of then you finding it, finding it and alleviating that part of it. But a lot of it has to do with you explaining to the people involved how they can help uh, alleviate the problem. And that's the only way it's going to happen. You know, I, I was involved with a case for almost a dozen years uh, in Iowa. And I actually wrote about it um, where this energy was just feeding off not only the living, but also off the dead. And, uh, there were, there were kids involved. Um, and the, the one child who, who has grown up since and is a very, very good psychic. Uh, she has really developed into a top notch psychic. Um, you know, it just she was very young when I when I first started working. I think she was about eight years old, and uh, it's difficult to to get them to understand what's going on. Uh, fortunately for me, she was open minded about it, and uh, the parents were very open minded, and I was able to work with her. But uh, many times that isn't the case. But these cases can take a long time. They can take an extraordinary long time. At least uh, you said that there was like the psychic kind of connection to it, uh, kind of getting into somewhat of like the Tulpa idea. Uh, do you think that since these are usually happening when they're going through puberty, things like that, that maybe it's a subconscious thing that they've created from their abilities, as in like they're actually controlling it through their subconscious, but they're not aware of it just because they don't know how to like place or specifically use their abilities. So like they'll get angry and upset and in turn, these things will happen in the house and then they'll think it's a poltergeist. But realistically, it's like they're subconscious using their tele telekinetic abilities. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, psychokinetic energy. I mean, it, it just manifests. Uh, you look at the movies like Carrie or something like that. I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. Um, 
it 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 just um it, it for whatever reason the, the situation gets to the point where they unconsciously kind of lash out and uh unlike the movie where that was she was conscious of what was going on it, it's very rare that they're conscious of it they, that they know what's going on and uh when you do get when you do get involved with a situation like that it's a matter of going in there and explaining it to them and to try to um alleviate or try to tamp down all the all that negative energy and that's the most difficult part about it um first of all trying to convince people that what they're experiencing is not really a spirit uh but it's something other than that it's it's something that uh has to do and is connected to the family dynamic and um yeah that that tends to be a problem but Luckily, I, I, I've been able to help a lot of people like that. Um, and uh, that's, that's a big reason why I get involved with the kids themselves. Because um, if, you, if you don't get them to understand what's really going on, you, you, you just, you know, you're just going around in circles. Nothing's going to be accomplished from it. Have you uh, noticed anything that's kind of like deterred off from these? Or do you think that pretty much all the cases are specifically just something somebody's creating themselves? Or do you think that it's also maybe sometimes a mixture of that? And then because of that energy that's being created, there might be other little attachments that kind of grab on and try to get a little snack of the energy in the process of them kind of dealing with themselves mentally. Well, these people are vulnerable. Uh, you know, I don't suggest that people that are having poltergeist activity or PK activity go out into a graveyard and start trying to summon spirits to get an attachment. Uh, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, you know, if if that does happen, and there is an attachment involved with it, that that will doubly make it worse. I mean, and that may actually, that may actually, uh, you know, become part of what's really going on. I haven't really been haven't experienced that, though. I have experienced some pretty bad hauntings. Um. I mean, to the point where an attachment has even gotten into an oppression, uh, not necessarily into possession, but into an oppression that, you know, just con continues to feed and feed on all the negativity that's going on. Um, there's ways of alleviating that. And, um, but, you know, I, I'm an, you know, I've done a lot of my cases and even my cryptic cases we do a lot of remote viewing. I'm a trained remote viewer. I've been involved with remote viewing now for almost 15 years. And, um, I work with a lot of remote viewer groups worldwide. And, um, we, uh, we do use the, uh, uh, coordinated remote viewing and, uh, and such for, for casework. And in fact, if you look at my blog, I will mention a couple of times. In fact, there's a case I'm working on now where we're, um, locally that we're, uh, that we've had employed uh, remote viewers, people I know, people I've worked with, uh, to look into the case, and many times it does it does help. Uh, now that you brought up remote viewing, uh, this is always something that absolutely fascinates me. Um, some of these beings that people see uh, when you do remote viewing, do you see them? differently do they come across the same uh kind of getting into what we were kind of talking about with the mothman thing that they may not actually look as we're presented to them when you do remote viewing do these things and different types of beings look different than how we're seeing them in our physical reality remote viewing 
isn't really supposed to be a psychic exercise. I know a lot of psychics that do get involved with remote viewing, but I believe anybody can be a remote viewer. But it's it's nothing. In, in fact, what you do is it's it's a, a, a multi-tiered uh, endeavor. Basically, you're going through phases uh, where you're using ideograms and such, and then you you know you go through a routine with a monitor, and you're picking up bits and pieces of evidence, and that's basically what it is. And when you're you, we're in that state of mind, that unconscious state of mind. You can start developing, uh, what I call them, pictures or visions of what you're dealing with. That's not really psychic. That's not a psychic ability. That's not your psychic ability getting in. Unfortunately, though, or maybe fortunately, because as time goes on, as you go deeper and deeper into the process, that psychic ability will kick in. It does for me. And normally, that's a lot of times, that's how I get cases solved by my psychic and my intuitive abilities kicking in either later in the case or even during a late part of a remote view session. Uh, something will show itself. And uh, I do have to take in consideration. It'll be part of the, um, the final analysis when we put everything together, because normally it's not just one on one with one monitor and one remote viewer. Uh, many times it's three or four or five the remote viewers that are getting input. Then at the end, you put it together uh, and, and try to figure out what's going on. But it is interesting when you have people that are that do have intuitive abilities that are doing a remote view and they're doing it together and they start picking up the same thing. That I've seen that happen. Uh, so, um, yeah, remote viewing isn't really a psychic endeavor, but it... it invariably for people who do have abilities it, it ends up like that what's uh your most like substantial uh, experience as far as like remote viewing goes like maybe one of the cases where everybody was seeing the same thing or like what like what, what's like the craziest thing that you've experienced as far as trying to do remote viewing well psychic attacks are probably the, the biggest thing i mean i've had physical psychic attacks at remote viewing even at great distances i i was i was doing a case in um in Prince Edward Island years ago. And, uh, shh, my cat trying to tell me what to do here. I got a couple that are uh, doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I was in the, towards the end of the process, I, I had pinned, pinned down this, this energy that was causing issues. It was strong energy, very strong energy. I, I couldn't necessarily see it, but, the monitor who I was working with, she, she, she got a good sense of what was going on. She pulled me out of it quickly, and it's good she did because I, I sustained a pretty substantial injury because it literally I had a laceration, about a uh, twelve inch laceration right down the middle of my, my chest. Ooh, it just opened up, and uh, yeah, that that was weird. I had never experienced anything like that before, but uh, it does happen. Uh, psychic attacks will happen occasionally if you get very deep into a remote view. Had another case years later where I was uh, doing another. This was a case, another case in Canada. No, this one was out. In, this was in Wales. 
this was in Wales. This was in an air, uh, town called Neath, South Southern Wales, and it was a um, it was a case we were involved in for a long time. Um, and in fact, we had we had some investigators that were at the location at the time we were doing the work. And uh, but we we would occasionally do a, a remote view as part of the case. And uh, at one point, and I, I still don't know what happened, but I literally felt like something kicked me in the side of my in my ribs. And I didn't pay much attention to it. Got to the point where I couldn't breathe. I had to go to the hospital. I oh, had wow. I had badly bruised ribs, and uh, yeah, it was a psychic attack. It does happen. Normally, it happens more so if you're on location, if you don't protect yourself from it. But uh, as far as it happening during an RV, I you know I've experienced that twice now. From uh, when you experienced it, what, what were you looking into exactly? Was it more so into like the paranormal realm, or was it like a cryptid realm? Like, did you have any idea no, of what may have been trying to do spirit. it? This was spirit. Uh, these are very strong, malevolent spirits. Uh, they were fighting back. And, uh, if you do give them the opportunity to fight back, they will. Um, you know, at the time I was fairly new at this. Well, the first one is in particular, I was fairly new at it and, uh, I hadn't protected myself the way I should have. And, um, normally when we start a remote view, we go through a series of affirmations and, and, Thought projection as far as aura protection and, and white light and golden light protection. It's it's a whole involved process we normally go through before we even start the process. Uh, but um, unfortunately, it did take hold on this case. And uh, yeah, I was attacked. Whew. And I have seen others get attacked as well. Was it all kind of the same thing or... Uh have you ever had any experiences with anybody like looking into like a cryptid, for example, and having something that seems to walk between two dimensions come at him? Or is it all just usually spiritual stuff? I've never had a cryptic case for anything that happened though. I, I do know. <laughs> I, I, I do know of remote viewers having physical contact with these beings. I, I uh, there wasn't one instance with a uh, remote viewer, very good remote viewer, very intuitive remote viewer who uh, is Australian, who I work with, um, literally have physical contact with the, with the Sasquatch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sad. Uh, yeah, pretty, it was intriguing. I mean, just from what she was telling me, and it's actually, it's a case we're still working on. Uh, but uh, the way she described it and some of the things that we experienced at the location, uh, and look, it's not a whole lot I can talk about because it's 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 a it's a case we're still working on, but uh, there's a lot involved there. We're talking about UFOs, cryptic canines, Bigfoot, a lot of dead energy. It, it's it's it just seems to be the it's a real hot spot, and there's just so much going on there that you know that's why I I asked to have an RV done because I'm trying to get a better idea of what's been going on there. Is, but uh, yeah, she uh, she told me. She said, "You know, I this, I've never had this happen before." And she's been doing this for a long time. She said, "I literally had communication and physical contact with this being, and I think it was a Sasquatch." Was that uh, Australian based by chance? Because when you get into like a lot of the Yowie legend, uh, they talk no. about them walking between worlds and you know 
being able to like basically this was cross local. the veil. Oh, it's local. This is a local case down in Maryland. Yeah. Hmm. Say, uh, actually, speaking of Sasquatch too, uh, I asked you a little bit earlier. And I don't think we ended up getting around to it. Uh, your Sasquatch experience. I'd love to hear what happened with that in particular, since you said you can't talk about this new case too too much. Well, um, this is a case is pretty well known. Uh, if you if you go online and uh, search the Sykesville Monster case, this is my encounter. But there, there were some other sightings and encounters for other people in the area. Well, anyway, I was. Um, this was in May of 1981. I, I used to do a lot of fly fishing. I was out on the streams and creeks and stuff a lot. And uh, this is an area on the south branch of the Tapsco River, about a mile downstream from Sykesville, Maryland, where I had been before. Uh, I was very, I, I knew the area very well. Well, I was out in the creek. Well, the it, it's a river, but it's it's almost it's not really big, you know. But anyway, I was out in the water in my waders and such. And, uh, I was out there fishing and I, I saw this dog across the river on the other bank, uh, kind of going in and out of the weeds and stuff. I didn't pay him any mind, but then I heard a yelp. And when I looked up, I saw this thing stand up in the weeds. Now the weeds were pretty high. Um, but this thing stood up and I could tell it, it was, it was hair covered. It was really dark, kind of a dark Brown, over big I, but the weeds kind of came up to mid body on it and as I was looking at it it started moving to my left out of the weeds and onto the bank of the uh, the rock bank on the river and it turned and it, it, was, it was a big foot I mean this thing was about 8 foot in height <laughs> um, hair all over dark brown kind of matted hair but uh Honestly, the first thing I, I looked, and I was close. I was about, I don't know, 50 foot away from it. I wasn't that far from it. And um, I, I, we, were looking, we were looking right at each other. We locked eyes for about 10 seconds. I could, I could tell it was a male. I could see the genitalia on this thing. Um, but it, it honestly, in the face, it kind of looked like a, uh, what people say a Neanderthal looked like. It looked more human than it did. But um, it was making a clicking sound, kind of gnashing its teeth, which I thought was unusual. And quite frankly, I, I had heard of Bigfoot at that time. I wasn't into Bigfoot, I you know. But this is about the same time the people are into the uh, the uh, well, of course, the Patterson Gimlin film had been out, but the Boggy Boggy Creek film had come out a couple years before that, and also I knew what it. A supposed Bigfoot look like, but that's this is what I'm looking at, and uh, it didn't do anything. It kind of looked at me, gnashing its teeth, and uh, I'm sitting here with my jaw hitting the water. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I know totally what to I was shocked, <laughs> and uh, and then it just turned and quickly walked up into the woods. Well, I didn't know what the hell I had just seen, so um, I got out of the out of the river, went up on to my car. Got in the car and drove to the nearest phone, which was about a mile away down River Road, right by a bar. I called the police, the local police, and they, um, I told them what I had encountered. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, go back and we'll have somebody meet you there. 
I'm thinking to myself, what the hell I want to go back there before? I don't know where this thing is. So um, I did. I got in the car, and I, I, I drove back three minutes or so. And by the time I got there, there was a Howard County, I mean, a Maryland State Police officer already there with a um, with a uh, one of those uh, wooden barriers across the road. Now, the fact that he was in the, the same general area where I had been at and had this thing up and got there that quickly, something was going on. Oh yeah, he was aware. <laughs> they were they were. Ch- and what I did find out later that there was a sighting about three or four hours previous to mine, about four or five miles downstream by a woman. And uh, she had reported it, but that, that, that just doesn't bring out the authorities. There was something else behind it. Well, I found out later why, but anyway, I, you know, when I, I pulled up to the, pulled up to the barrier and the cop came, I rolled down the window and said, you got to get out of here. I said, well, you know, I reported this thing. I said, you know, they told me to come back. She said, I don't care. You got to leave. Okay. Well, I backed up and got out of there and went home. And I, I lived in Sliceville at the time. So I guess about an hour later, I said, yeah, well, I'm going to go back, drive back down there and see what's going on. So I did. I got back. I drove back down. And I mean, there were cars everywhere. I had to literally park about a quarter mile away because of so many cars up and down the road. I got out of the car, parked, got out of the car, walked up the road, and it's all blocked off. And there was a Howard County cop standing there, and there were other people there and wondering what's going on. And there are people with dogs going in and out of the woods and in the brush and up and down the river. And uh, there were um, <laughs> there were people from all jurisdictions there, state police, Howard County. Uh, but then there were two black wagoneers, is what the feds used to drive back then. Uh, there, I heard a helicopter, didn't see a helicopter, but I heard it. So I asked the Howard County cop, I said, kind of jokingly, what's going on? I didn't tell him I'm the one who made the report. <laughs> and uh, he started laughing and said, um, somebody said they saw Bigfoot. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't say anything else. I stood there for a couple more minutes and I got in the car and left. But, uh, I mean, there were people ever. In fact, where I had seen this thing, they had a white tent set up there. Now, I don't know what, I don't know if they had this thing or had evidence or what was going on. But something was definitely going on. Now, what the, the first thing I thought was, well, not then, but later on, I thought, well, maybe this was something that had escaped somewhere. You know, I, that Sliceville area, that's between Washington and Baltimore. And it's an area where there's a lot of government facilities at. And uh, who knows what they had. I, you know, Maybe it's something that escaped from somewhere. I, I don't know. I still don't know. I've heard a lot of stories over the years, but I still don't know what it was. But anyway, I got home and uh, I started calling the TV stations in, in Baltimore. And I was talking to the news desk and telling them what had happened. And they, they said, oh, yeah. We'll get back to you in a couple of days when we find out what happened and, and talk to it. Well, five days later, nobody called me. So I called one of the news stations and I got the editor on the phone and I, I told him who I was and what had happened. And he said, I don't want to talk to you and hang up. <laughs> so it huh. could have been more obvious. Something weird was going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then I, then my hackle started going up. I mean, I knew something was going on. 
And I was kind of left in the dark about it for a long time. Uh, and in fact, several years later, I got an email from a, I'm, you're talking about later on when the, you know, back in the late nineties, I got an email from a, a Sykesville police officer who pretty well verified everything I, I saw and, and what happened, you know? And, uh, he was part of the investigating, he was part of the team that was down there that day and he verified everything. So I knew it wasn't crazy, but, um, you know, after that had happened, I really started getting interested in, in cryptids and particularly Bigfoot. And I wanted to know about what had happened to me. Now, what I did find out was uh, about six or seven years previous to that, there had been sightings along the river in Sykesville of a Bigfoot-like creature. They were calling it the Sykesville Monster. That was the name. Um, it was investigated Actually, the first media source to start investigating was the uh, Baltimore Afro-American newspaper. Because all the people who lived down there in that part of the town along the river were all African-American. And uh, this thing was busting into houses, getting into chicken pens, into garages and stuff. It was busting up things. And in fact, one of the local cops had gone to investigate a sighting. Well, this this person who owned the house said this thing was trapped in their in their garage, <laughs> and when he came up to the garage, it literally knocked the door right on top of the cop. See, I've only heard so, a few you know, stories like that. That that's that's insane to think about. I mean, talk yeah, about a close encounter and, with Sasquatch. So, anyway, um, I was lucky enough. One of the guys who who had a lot of family members lived down there. I was I had worked with. So he introduced me to a lot of the people from the previous sightings, and I that's kind of where I started interviewing witnesses and such and getting information on what's going on. I, I kind of caught the, the cryptid bug back then. And uh yeah, it was uh it was pretty wild. Well I, that was my Bigfoot experience. I'm gonna definitely have to ask, of course, when it comes I, I gotta ask it all together as far as like all your stuff goes, what like some of the weirdest stuff is. But as far as like Bigfoot goes in particular, uh what's like the most like fascinating uh Sasquatch encounter or sighting that you've happened to pick up from people submitting their stories? Oh my god, that's hard to, that's hard to even. Oh, that's probably like an endless resource right there, it Sasquatch. Is. It is. I mean <laughs> it is. It it there's you know. I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me even and pull one up. There's so many of them, uh, but I don't know. It, it's there's been thousands of sightings. I mean, I, I've I've looked into and people have sent to me. Some of them are just pretty damn unbelievable. But you know, I've learned over the years to try to keep an open mind uh, when people report stuff to you. I I, I kind of give the witness the benefit of the doubt until I prove otherwise. Uh, that's kind of the way I approach this, these things. Uh, but I think all in all, most people are pretty truthful about what they believe they experienced. Uh, and, um, and that goes for all phenomena, but as far as a, a specific type of sighting, I don't know. <laughs> there's just been, there's just been thousands of them. 
See, I think one of the ones that was always stuck in my head was I remember hearing an encounter story where a lady was saying that every time she put on SpongeBob, she'd hear him like laughing and reacting outside watching SpongeBob. But I mean, like that totally would make sense because I mean, I feel like half the time the reason why they mimic all the different sounds in the woods is for something to do. It's a form of entertainment, especially if they're an intelligent animal. So like, it's just a really funny thing to think about having some Sasquatch sitting off in the tree lines laughing at SpongeBob and playing in your back room. <laughs> Yeah, I, it does surprise me. I've heard all kinds of crazy things. And, uh, you know, I, I try to separate the wheat from the chaff for the most part, but there are occasions when you hear something really out there and you kind of, nah, you kind of put it in the back shelf. Then later on, something will happen. You got to dig it back up because what they, something they told you just kind of clicks with something else that happened. So, um, yeah, it's. You know, I I don't know. I it, it it's it's just it's just so much out there. It's just so much that happens. You know, uh, and of course the position I'm in, I I do I'm privy to a lot of different stories. Well, I guess a good question to ask too, considering you take in so many stories. Well, two different questions, but I'll ask the first one first. Um, so, as far as encounter stories go, is there any like one in particular or a couple in particular that have really like stuck with you through the years that you find to be like one of your most fascinating encounters that you've taken in? Yeah, you know, I um, I wrote a book a couple years ago titled Alien Disclosure. Uh, experiences expose reality because I had been involved with a lot of abduction scenarios, a lot of experiences, a lot of witnesses. Um, the one case in particular, and it wasn't really a case because it was something I, well, I had to explain it. But anyway, what happened was um, this was back in, I think it was 2011. I forget the exact date. I got a phone call from a, a woman out in uh, eastern Washington State. She lived; they lived right right on the Idaho border. But anyway, what she, what she described to me was she, you know, she lived at home with her mother. And she was a school teacher, so she she was an adult. But one night. Um, after they were, had finished dinner, they were washing the dishes. I guess it was about 8 o'clock in the evening. It was dark. They started hearing popping sounds. And they didn't know what it was. I mean, they looked out the window. They started seeing all these white and red orbs all over the place outside. And when these things would collide, they'd make a popping sound. So um, the only thing that she could think of that it could be related to was because occasionally she would um, go out into the backyard and, and look to the east along the Coeur d'Alene Mountains and see white and red lights, you know, UFOs, you know, whatever. She didn't know what to think about it, but this whole thing with the, um, you know, these orbs. So when this happened, when she saw this, all these orbs and all these popping sounds, she ran into the, the living room and looked out the bay window in the living room. And it was out in the front yard, too, and across the road into the field. So, I mean, it was like millions of these, these red and white orbs. Then uh, she went. her mother went to call the police or whoever, and the phone was dead. 
So then the lights went out. <laughs> so they didn't know what the hell to think. So um, about an hour later, you know, the lights came on, the phone was working, but there was nothing else going on. Um, all the lights were gone and everything. So they didn't, they didn't call the police. I mean, they figured out ah, it's gone. What the hell? You know, I can't, you know, if it happens again, we'll call the cops. Well, this was just the beginning. So a couple of nights later, um, her mother had gone up to bed and she was, you know, she was going into her room and uh, she was in her bedroom and she heard a lot of scratching and walking and all kinds of crazy noises up in the attic and on the roof. And she didn't know what it was. She looked out in the window and then these, these red and white lights are all over the place again outside. And then the lights went out again. Power went out. She screamed for her mother. By that time, her mother was awake. She was, you know, and uh, she came running in the bedroom and they spent about an hour in her bedroom listening to all these scampering sounds up on the roof and in the attics. Something was up there. They didn't know what it was. It kept going on, like I said, for about an hour. Then all of a sudden it stopped and the lights came back on and all the sound was gone. All the, the orbs and everything were gone. Well, they had enough of this. They didn't know what was, was, was happening. So they had got a hold of a, an investigator, paranormal investigator, UFO investigator in, in Tacoma. No, not Tacoma, Spokane. And uh, he gave uh, them my, my contact. So they called me. So they told me all what's been going on. I didn't have a good feeling about this, quite frankly. Um, she called me in the, um, in the evening. So it was like a three-hour difference between me and them. But we were on the phone about two or three hours. But I just had a bad feeling about this. And I didn't mention anything to her. I told her, I, you know, I said, well, just do me a favor. Keep a log of what's going on. Write everything down, you know, so you can, when we talk again, we can go over everything. But I just did not feel good about this whole thing. Um, I thought this was going to ramp up. Well, unfortunately, that night, that same night, um, and the girl, the, the woman's name was Mandy. She was a, she was, um, I guess she was around twenty-five or so, school teacher. Anyway, she had been up in her room. And her mother had been downstairs watching TV. So about eleven o'clock, her mother got up. and walked upstairs and uh, she walking through the hallway and she saw a light coming underneath Mandy's door and she knocked on the door and nobody answered. And when she opened the door, the lights went out and she called for Mandy and there was no, no response. Then all of a sudden the lights came back on and she couldn't find her. She was nowhere to be found. All, all her, all her stuff was there, her keys, her pocketbook, everything. While everything was there, car was still there. She's nowhere to be found. She's running all over the place trying to find out what's going on. This is, uh, now, let me go back. You know, I, I was supposed, they were supposed to, when I had talked to them, I told them, look, give me a call back. And, um. Uh, in a couple of days and we'll talk and, uh, you know, see what's been going on. Well, I hadn't heard back from, from almost a week. So when she 
her mother called me and she told me, she said, uh, she said, I'm sorry we didn't get back to you. And I could tell something was wrong. And she said, Mandy's missing. And that's when she told me about, you know, her going upstairs and not finding her anywhere. And so, you know, of course, when she, she ran around the house, ran outside, she didn't know where she was. She called police. So, of course, when the police got there, they, um, they said, well, she's an adult. We can't do anything about it. I mean, her car is still here and stuff, but maybe she took off with somebody, you know. But all her stuff was still there, and her mother knew better than that. Well, after a week, you know, they didn't know. She didn't know what happened to her. You know, she, they're trying to find her, and nothing. All her effects are still there. And she fig she finally called me and told me she said that Mandy's missing. Well, that's been what 12, 13 years ago, and I still check up with Washington State Police. She hasn't turned up anywhere. I believe she was abducted. That's what I was kind of gearing towards and thinking, yeah, too. I think she was abducted. And, um, you know, I have always felt bad about that, even though, what could I have done? I couldn't have done anything. But, um, boy, I'll tell you, I really second-guessed myself after that. Like, again, I, I, I kind of blame myself for not, I don't know, not warning them somehow. But then again, you think about it, what could I have done? So uh, that has that case has always stuck with me for the longest time, but uh, I do try to follow up on it. And uh, she hasn't showed up now. Her mother has passed away since then, and uh, I don't know what the situation is with the property or all. But I I know they haven't found her. Was there any kind of leads at all towards anything? Nothing. <sighs> That's nothing. one of those hard no ones. Physical too. evidence, nothing. And. Uh, Normally, when there's something like that, it happens. You know, somebody usually shows back up. I mean, but very rarely do they just totally disappear. That almost made you wonder. Makes you wonder if there was something like special about her that they had like a reason to keep her. Because you hear all of these like abduction stories and these contactee stories where yeah. they have like an interest in you know the way they think or their DNA or something like that. Like I've heard some contactee stories where they essentially give them an option on whether or not they want to stay with them or not, but. Like in that one in particular, it kind of makes me wonder where that falls in that maybe it was like one of those experiments gone wrong or if there was actually something that they wanted with her. But I mean, even if you warned them when it comes to the extraterrestrial phenomenon, like if they have an interest in somebody in particular, it doesn't matter where they go. They're going to find where they are and they're going to come and pick them back up. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've. I, I, I've looked into a, a lot of cases like that. there's a case in particular here in Pennsylvania that happened back in um 2002 2002 I had to look at but I, I know it, it was you know but anyway it was a Todd C's case I don't know if you're familiar with that name but it was basically it was a gentleman who had um, who had gone apparently deer spotting early in the morning took his four wheeler went up on the ridge and uh, they found the um, they found the four wheeler later on but they didn't find him they had like 150 people searching the whole area, a whole long, the Montour Ridge, all area around Northumberland, Pennsylvania. And um, he was missing for like 36 hours. And they were still out there searching. But then his body shows up 
about 70 yards from the house. Dead. Was he uh, like missing any clothes or had backwards clothes or just any of those other kind of weird signs? The only thing he was wearing was uh, was underwear. He had a he had a t shirt and uh, he had his under underwear on. And um, when they found him, he was underneath like a log that was above him, and he had his arm over on one side like that. The um, the unusual thing about it was, and this is a case we looked into, and we got a lot of flack about looking into it. We really did. MUFON just gave us a fit um, because I think the authorities that got involved with it were uh, some people were saying, well, it was the FBI that came in. Uh, it, was, it was Air Force, I think. Uh, and they, they basically took all the people who had been searching, took them into a fire hall, locked the door and told them, you all don't know a thing. You all didn't see a thing. You never heard anything. Don't say anything else. And that's been a long time ago. And, you know, we just, it's just been like pulling teeth, getting evidence of this. We finally got the autopsy report. They took the body and took it to another part of the state and had an independent uh, autopsy done. And when they opened it up, Opened the body up. The only place they could find blood was in the leg. There was no blood anywhere in the cavity or nothing. It was devout of blood. They just found a little bit. Um. Yeah, you might want to Todd Sees S E E S. You may want to look that up. Uh, my partner who deceased now. He and I looked into this for a long time. We still, you know, I still trying to get answers about what had happened, but uh. The powers that be just are trying to keep it covered up, you know. See, that kind of makes me wonder if, uh, obviously not all of the UFO phenomenon, but I think that there's a good portion of it where it's actually linked back to like MK Ultra type thinking where you can't run just whatever experiments you want on the general public. You have to try to disguise it behind something. And I've heard like a few encounters, like such as like the Pascagoula uh, incident where the guy said that he saw what looked like a mask when he saw the female alien and mm -hmm. when I hear about cases like that, it makes me wonder if it they're using some type of like form of like LSD possibly on people and continuing like MK Ultra experiments and just trying to hide it under this facade of extraterrestrials. And maybe that's why the cases like that, they keep it so far under wraps. But then there's these other UFO cases that are extremely UFO. Like it doesn't feel like it's human intervention happening. And they're a little bit like more eh, not our problem. We don't know what you're talking about with it. And they don't like get on top of people and put them in a room and tell them all like you heard nothing. They kind of just leave yeah. it alone and you know don't don't even try to recognize it. You know, I try to stay away from the conspiracy stuff as much as I can, but you know, it's almost impossible in some cases, especially uh, aliens. <laughs> yeah, especially alien. Um, I don't know. You know, I like. You know, actually, I I had been looking into this for a long time. And uh, I, I wanted to write a book for a long time as well, but my wife was always afraid of me getting it. I had been, I have had encounters with government types on couple, on three occasions, on cases I've been looking, I've looked into, and uh, it, she was scared of it. She was afraid if I wrote this book and started putting stuff out there that I would. Um, you know, I would have some have some trouble. Well, my wife passed away in 2015, and after she died, I went ahead and wrote the book. And uh, I haven't had too much problem with the book itself. 
But uh, occasionally, you know, there are people keeping an eye on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, there have been three other, <laughs> one in particular. Oh, my God. And, and this was probably the strangest thing that ever happened to me. But um, I had been looking into, um, I had been looking into some allegations made by an individual out in, up in uh, Western Pennsylvania who, who was telling me that he thought there were government agents and such on his property and that they were doing things to him and a bunch of other stuff. You know, I, I, I was, you know, I was making inquiries and, uh, this guy was writing his Congress people and getting hold of people. I mean, it, it, it was, he was starting to, he was starting to upset. Well, one day while I'm working on this, I had to go to the doctor's office. So I went to my doctor's, went back into the exam room, sitting there waiting. And a nurse came back there and said, Mr. Strickler, there are two individuals out in the waiting room. I want to talk to you. I can't bring them back here, but they want to talk to you. You're going to have to go out there and talk to them. Okay. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell's going on? This is something, this is, you know, this is quite unusual. I didn't know what they were. I walked out there. There was a man and woman standing there in suits and a waiting room full of people. They flashed their badges at me. <laughs> NSA. NSA. Mr. Strucker, we'd like to talk to you about, we'd like to talk to you about an incident. Um, we have an office secured across the hallway. Can you come with us? Okay. I'm thinking, myself, now what the hell is this all about? So I go, I kind of had a feeling what it was. So I, I went back there and they, they, we sat down and uh, they said, look, um, we'd like for you to back off on this investigation. Uh, they didn't give me a reason why. Uh, we're just out of courtesy. We're asking you to back off. Uh, the guy's been causing issues. He's been contacting his Congress people. He's he's been doing this, this, and that. And we don't want you getting uh, in any more involved than what you already are. <laughs> I told him, I say, hey, no problem. That's you know, if you know, when it gets to the point when they come in and say something to me. That's the end of it. And uh, the guy, my partner, who I was working with at the time, he was laughing at me. <laughs> he, he thought he said, um, he said, well, I don't blame you. So I, I, you know, I'd done the same thing. But uh, yeah, I backed off of that one pretty quick. So uh, the last I heard, the guy went to prison. I don't know what he was in prison for, but uh, yeah, that was about ten years ago. That was pretty wild. Now. Normally, now the other two times they came to my door and knocked on the door and would talk to me and say this, this, and that. Uh, what do you know about this? What do you know about that? But they never told me to back off a case before. Well, they backed in. I had to back off of this. It does happen. They do. Um, they do make inquiries, and uh, you know, you hear these stories. You think, ah, it's all crap. I mean, you know, the feds aren't going to come to you and ask you to do this now. Yeah. When you're rough on the, when somebody's rough on the feathers and you're attached to it somehow, they're going to, they're going to try to change things up somewhat. So they didn't have to tell me twice. 
<laughs> so the ones where they were kind of seem like they were prying for information, obviously that seems like something they're probably not related to. And they're trying to try to probe you out to see if you could give them more information. But the ones where they tell you just to straight back off, it definitely yeah. seems like they're fully aware or they're involved and they're just trying to tell you like, all right, you're done with this. And I've even heard yeah. that a lot with like dogman encounters. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I've heard a lot of like government interjection with a lot of people who've been on the show talking about like when they start digging into a specific area with dogmen that they're told to yeah. back off. And usually it's ones around military bases. So, I mean, I think that that's a multifaceted phenomenon. Well, that's true. And look, there have been a lot of cryptid sightings around military bases. There have been, I mean, even just here in the United States, there have been a lot. Um, yeah. So, um, but no, when they came and told me to, we appreciate you not going any further into this. They, like I said, I didn't, they didn't tell me twice. That was done. Um, so yeah, it, but it does happen. You know, it's almost like the MIB thing, you know, mm -hmm. where they, they kind of suggest that you not do it or not look into it or not report it. And I, I've heard a, a whole bunch of stories about that. I, I've never seen one or heard one but i've i mean you know had any involvement with one but no i've heard some pretty interesting stories <laughs> well it, since you brought it up of course i'd love to hear some of the men in black stuff that you've uh, heard of at least because uh, uh when well, it comes to that that's one of those weird things that it's, it's like an accumul it's like an accumulative thing i mean where people have where, where people has will see something uh they will see a UFO or have a, uh, an experience of some type of being that they don't understand. And before they even get a chance to report it, these, these guys in black and a black sedan show up in their house mm -hmm. and start asking questions. And, uh, you know, after they ask you a couple of questions, they, they pretty well give you the impression that, you know, you'd be for your, in your best interest not to go further with it. Uh, I hear that a lot from people and, um, you know, I, I don't believe they're, but I don't believe the MIB are government. I mm -hmm. think they're alien. I think they're the alien cleanup crew. I did. In fact, I did a, uh, I did a, I did a show Friday night. It's up on my, on my YouTube channel with several of my cases that I've been, that I've been reported to me about men in black. Uh, that's kind of the overall thing. They kind of, want you to not go any further with it but the fact that they show up so quickly and they've got this type of robotic meaner demeanor to them and y'all skin and you know just the way they act and the way that the kind of the questions they, they ask and you know it just it it just doesn't seem human it just seems something other than human and um uh, yeah, I, I think people see something that wasn't supposed to be seen, and then they call these things out, and they try to clean it up. See, and I wonder if, like, when it comes to the whole men in black thing, there's clearly, like, the extraterrestrial aspect to them and just the weirdness, and then there's the ones that are very, they're very human-like. So I'm kind of curious if it's, like, the extraterrestrial ones are trying to kind of take the image of the of the agents that are already there, or if it's vice versa, that they know that there's weird phenomenon going on, so agents take advantage yeah. of dressing and looking like them. <laughs> Yeah, that may be that may be it. You know, a, a lot of the government types that you see run around in the uh, in the assault uh, uniforms. It's usually they're dressed in black, but it's they got all the gear and everything with them, and they're driving the black SUVs. These guys are driving black sedans with fedoras and and black suits, and it just does, doesn't seem right. 
So um, yeah, I mean, they may be trying to mimic the government the government types. I don't know. You might be right about that. Just kind of a weird thing, and I mean, even like the like black eyed children, for example. I know a lot of people mm. talk about them being linked, but I often wonder if that's like a like a predecessor to them. Like maybe they eventually become them. Like they're like a younger version of them. And maybe it's like, they try to throw them out there to try to see if they can interact with people. And it's almost like a game to see if they can act human like enough to let, have somebody let them in their house, for example. Cause you don't really hear any stories realistically of people getting actually letting the black guy children in. I think I've heard like one of them and I heard that they just pretty much like walked in and then just disappeared when the person turned around. That's normally what happens. They come in and they're gone. I think it, I think that's more of a possession thing than anything else. Now, are they being possessed by something otherworldly as opposed to a spirit or it? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, we get black-eyed adults, too, so you know, it kind of runs the gamut. I don't think I've ever actually heard a black-eyed adult story. Oh, I got, I've had plenty of them. What's, uh, what's one, of the, one of the ones that stuck with you as far as like, those encounters go? It's very similar. I mean, they, they, they act the same way. They, um, you know, they have an encounter with somebody, but most times it's usually a singular person that shows up and, uh, just acts really weird. And, uh, many times they, they're outside of a house looking in windows and such. And when they're discovered, they're, they had totally black eyes. That kind of get, that gives me the chills. Like it's creepy enough with kids, but yeah. just imagining like an adult looking in your house is even creepier. Yeah. And do they, do they seem to get like angry when you tell them no to? Like the kids seem like they kind of get Not frustrated. Like the kids do. No, they normally just back off. But uh, are these black eyed kids growing up? Mm, right? <laughs> oh, I don't. Know. I don't know. The black eyed adults are the idea. reject men in black, and they still got to keep well, trying in order to get know. to the point where they get upgraded to becoming a men in black. <laughs> And then uh, I was going to ask, too, because um, I always love when people, uh, they t- the people that take in all these different types of stories, they always get the weird one-off ones. Um, I'm sure you've probably gotten a plethora of one-off stories, but uh, what are some, What are maybe even just a couple of uh, like one-off encounters that you've, you've picked up through the years? Oh, Jesus. It, I, it, I wish I could have dug up a list. I could have I <laughs> pulled up a list for you. Maybe we'll have to get it the next time. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pull some stuff together and we'll get... You know, if you just go to the blog and look through the blog and, and you know, I, I do have an archive in there. Uh, just scroll down the archive. You're bound to find something. <laughs> <laughs> the one-off ones are great, especially with like cryptids and stuff too. Yeah. Um, because it's like, they're like, like, like I, I think I was hearing one from Michigan. They're calling it like the beast of old 36 or something like that. And it's like a relatively new thing that there was only like, I think one or two encounters altogether. And it was pretty much this like cat like looking thing that was really big, pretty much jumping over certain parts of the freeway and it being seen by multiple people all at once. But it was just like once or twice and that's it. And I haven't heard anything else about it since. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> kind of a weird one. I mean, I've tried to follow all the Michigan stuff. And I mean, the reason why that one stuck in my head so well is just because it was Michigan related. Because yeah. I, of course, want to always go and try to find all this weird stuff on my own when I do hear stuff that's close to my house. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, we're, we're going close to about two hours or so now. And uh, I'd love to definitely sit down and do this again, like you were saying, collect sure. a little bit more information and stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, if you give me a heads up and I, I can pull some stuff together, I can, you know, we can we can talk about specific cases. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. 
So uh, before we head out, I always like to do uh, words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if there was possibly any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners, even, you know, just something simple, uh, what might it be? Well, I always tell people to keep an open mind about anything. If you see something that you don't understand, just don't discount it. Uh, and, and don't feel uh, reluctant to come forward about it, you know. I, I try to be I try to be as open minded as possible and, and, and try to um, be as courteous and uh, with as people who come forward with stuff. I mean, you you do you know doing this, you hear all kinds of crazy things. But like <laughs> I said, I keep an open mind about it. Uh, you know, I I look at it this way: when when somebody tells you their story, and you know when they explain it to you, you become part of that story. So you're obligated to look further into it and just not to discount it. And I try to do that the most I can. Mm -hmm. That's a, honestly the best way of going about it. I've heard that words of wisdom from a few people, not, not exactly worded the same, but kind of along the same principle. And uh, it's, it's honestly probably one of the best words of wisdom that somebody could possibly give on this show. And I mean, whether or not people want it out there want to necessarily believe every encounter they hear or not um, to somebody it's, it's their specific truth. And when it comes to like, you know, certain things when it comes to like uh, extraterrestrial cases um, and people being probed, for example, um, a lot of the time it's like when that happens when somebody's really young, there is trauma involved as far as, you know, there could be even just like a neighbor that's a little bit on the weird side and, you know, kind of, you know, getting into the weird stuff without kind of getting too descriptive on the show. Um, but right. then rather than actually remembering that person's face, they associate the trauma with something else. And, you know, their story is fully true from their perspective that they're saying that they got probed by an extraterrestrial. But when you actually like hear the story and start putting pieces together, you realize that it's there's a, probably a pretty good possibility that it may have been somebody theoretically molesting them. But again, to that person, that's their truth. And it's still a story that they need to tell to somebody. And just being there and being a being listening ears for somebody means the absolute world to somebody, especially if they don't have anybody they can typically tell about these kind of weird things. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, for anybody that loved this conversation and wants to come and check out your blog and all your work, uh, where can everybody find your podcast, your blog, everything? Well, the, uh, the website is fams of monsters at fams monsters.com. Uh, I do a weekly, I don't know if you want to call it a podcast. It's ba basically what I do is I, it's a, uh, an open chat where I read a lot of the cases and a lot of the, uh, the inquiries that are made to me. Then at the end, I take questions from the people in the chat room and I've been doing that now for about a year or so. And, uh, it seems to be doing very well. I mean, people really enjoy it. So, you know, if you just go to Phantoms of Monsters radio and search that on to, uh, on, um, on YouTube, you'll find it. And I do a, I do a show Friday show. I occasionally do interviews, but not as much as I used to. Uh, I like to talk about some of the cases, personal reports is what I call it. And, uh, there's a little bit of everything there. And, uh, the team is the Phantoms of Monsters 14 research team. Uh, if you have an encounter or something, contact me and we'll do the best we can to get out there and to look into it. And I highly recommend uh, Phantom and Monsters Radio to any of those podcast listeners out there. It's uh, one of my weekly listens I listen to every week. It's very informational. And uh, I think if you guys enjoy this show and you guys enjoy this conversation, that it'll definitely become one of your guys' weekly listens. And uh, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. Go ahead. It's fine. I appreciate it. <laughs> 
And uh, I was going to say, I appreciate you making the time to come on the show. This has been a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to next time. And even if we just do it open form or you bring some encounters in, I think it'd be a great show next time. And I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, we can do that. Sure. If you guys enjoyed this episode, come on, I know you guys definitely enjoyed it. Don't forget to leave a review or a rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five-star review on iTunes, then of course I will read it on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And uh, if any of you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, be it you want to be a guest on the show or you want to collab for something or you have a product that you'd like to sponsor the show with, you guys can always get a hold of me through Increase Our Reality Podcast at Outlook.com or through social media, of course. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email, of course. Make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders. Make sure nothing gets missed in the process because I do respond to every single message that I get from you guys. And uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, is all available off of the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.